Well, today's passage talks about sex, especially sexual immorality. And I'm not sure how long ago Alan decided to put mob camp on this weekend and have me (laughs) preach, but he was certainly one step ahead of me. Today's passage, though, has some real important um, lessons to teach us about obeying God in this particular area of life. Last week, if you were here, we looked at five areas of change that happen in the life of a Christian. Uh, Putting off and putting on certain things. Telling the truth. Not getting angry. Not stealing. uh, Using only words that will build other people up, not speaking unwholesome words. And forgiving each other. You might have noticed last week that a very big area of our life that changes when we're a Christian, our attitude to sex, wasn't in there. That's because Paul has been saving that up with to deal all by itself in the passage that we're looking at today. So you can see in your outline, we're going to look at what the Bible says firstly about sexual immorality, then why it says it, and then some um, helpful things to help us put it into practice. So firstly, what God says and verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, this is the first time sexual immorality has come up in Ephesians so far. Impurity and greed have already come up last week in chapter 4, verse 19, talking about unbelievers. But back there, the word for greed wasn't talking about financial greed. It was talking about lust. Have a little look back at chapter 4, verse 19. Excuse me. Having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That word, a continual lust for more in in, um, their sexual impurity, that's the word that's here translated greed, wanting more. I think they've translated it greed because later on in verse 5 it calls it idolatry and we often think of greed as idolatry. But I think what it's saying here is that sexual immorality can be idolatry. Anything that becomes our God. It's a bit like in the commandments where it talks about coveting, wanting more, which we often firstly go to as uh, financial greed. But there it says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So in the, in the context of Ephesians, it's simply saying, so among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or lust, lusting for more and more, because these are improper for God's holy people. This passage is really all about the one thing. What is sexual immorality? Well, the Bible says very clearly, if you're married, have sex often. If you're not married, don't have sex. And any sex outside of the marriage relationship is sexual immorality. So someone who's having sex before they're married, the Bible would call that sexual immorality. Someone who's having sex with someone they're not married to, like an affair, God would call that sexual immorality. Now that is very different to the world's view. 
The world says have sex with whoever you want, same sex, different sex, married, single. Uh, We see sex on TV, sex in magazines, sex is everywhere. And what we hear again and again is if it feels good, go for it. Now God's view is very different to that. God has designed sex for within marriage. It's It's not that the world says sex is good and the Bible says sex is bad. No. God says that sex is good, but he has designed it for within marriage. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, God commands married people to have sex often for the sake of each other. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, within marriage, having sex often, having a good relationship will help avoid sexual immorality. So sex is given within marriage. And that's the only place for a Christian that it's appropriate. Any sex outside of that is what the Bible calls sexual immorality. So that's, for example, why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, if you're burning with passion and you can't control yourself, get married. Avoid sexual immorality. And if you're not married, 1 Timothy 5 says to Timothy, treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Again, it's that idea of just guarding ourselves against sexual immorality. If you're not married, don't do anything with a person of the opposite sex that you wouldn't do with your sister or your mother. Sex is very precious and to be uh, only within marriage. So we get to Ephesians 5, and it's not really a surprise that this is what it says, verse 3. But among you, God's people that is, There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, sexual greed, lust, because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, the word holy means different. And especially in this area, we are to be different from the world around us, just like Paul was telling the Ephesians to be different from the world around them. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. That phrase there, not even a hint, it literally means don't even talk about it. If you've got an ESV Bible or an NASB Bible, they translate this, do not let sexual immorality even be named among you. What does that mean? Not even let it be named. Well, I think verse 4 is explaining that. There shouldn't be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, rather thanksgiving. This is not a separate topic. In chapter 5, he's going to go on and talk about the same three words again, sexual immorality. Obscenity, that just means dirty talk. Foolish talk just means silly talk. The Greek word is moron. Don't talk like a moron. Don't be an idiot. And no coarse joking. The word for coarse joking just means wit, clever, clever jokes. But it's not talking about any bad language or any foolish talk or any joking. It's talking about bad language, foolish talk and joking about sexual immorality. See, God has given us a wonderful gift here of sex. It's precious, it's pure, it's good. And it is to be enjoyed, 
Do not devalue it by talking crudely about it, as if it's something dirty, like the way that it might get talked about on the work, in, in the workplace by the fellows. Don't even talk silly about it. Don't even joke about it. Adultery is a serious issue. Don't joke about it. Sex before marriage is a serious issue. Don't talk silly talk about it. Don't talk lightly as if it doesn't matter. Some, <clears throat> excuse me. Sometimes I've in the past watched the Melbourne Comedy Festival or some of those comedy shows on TV. And I don't know about you, but I excuse it because even though it's talking about sexual immorality, it's clever and it's funny and it's sophisticated and it's not actually doing anything wrong. It's just talking about it. Surely it doesn't matter, but it does matter. It's making light of something that God says is serious. Look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Sexual immorality could not be more serious. Look, would you tell jokes to your friends about them going to hell? Would you joke about your family going to judgment? Of course you wouldn't. Then don't joke about sexual immorality. It is just as serious. It is making a mockery out of everything that God tells us about sex. Get rid of it. Run away from it. Not even a hint. Not even a trace. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. By the side, this passage, I think, makes a complete nonsense out of that question a lot of people asked, if I'm not married, how far can I go? How far can you go? How close to sexual immorality can you go? How, before you come under God's judgment, why would you even ask that question? Get married. The question should be, how far away from it can you go? Not even a hint. That is how far. And if you want some more specifics, treat older women as your mother, younger women as your sister. That's how far. Would you do it with your mother? Don't do it with your girlfriend. Sexual immorality. Or maybe you are married and maybe you're having a bit of a marriage crisis or a midlife crisis and you're feeling down about yourself and some attractive person of the opposite sex starts taking an interest in you and they make you feel good about yourself in a way that your husband or wife doesn't. Run away. Not even a hint. In his book uh, called Temptations Men Face, but it applies to women too, Tom Eisenman has 12 steps towards adultery and these are his first three steps. The first step is readiness, where he says your relationship with your husband or wife is not strong. You're dissatisfied with your marriage. First step to adultery. Second step, alertness. You start to notice a particular person of the opposite sex. It's innocent, but you admire them. You think about them. You wonder what it would have been like if you'd married them. 
Step three, the innocent meeting, where through normal life, through church or work or sport, you get to talk with them and you enjoy it and they make you feel good. You're already a quarter of the way there. Step 12 is the affair, but it starts much earlier. Nip it in the bud early, not even a hint. If your marriage is not strong, work on it. If you're finding yourself attracted to another person, run away. Guard yourself. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. These are improper for God's holy people. Be different. Why, though? Why is this so important? Why does Paul spend so much time talking about this particular issue? Verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, sexually greedy, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Sex outside of marriage is disobedience to God. And if you continually and purposefully disobey God and ignore him, you have no place in his kingdom. Paul says such a person is an idolater. Okay? Idolater means something else is your God, your idol. God is not your God. And if sex is your God, or anything else for that matter, money, then God is not your God and you're not in his kingdom. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Please notice verse 5 is not talking about someone. It's not talking about someone who is trying to obey Jesus and trying to get some area of their sexual purity under control and struggling with it. Okay? The Bible tells us as Christians to expect a struggle in this area. We need to learn to control our bodies. And even if we fall tragically like King David who committed adultery with Bathsheba, there's forgiveness if we repent. This is not talking about when we slip up as Christians, but if we deliberately disobey God, if we choose this sexual immorality as a lifestyle and not God, then we have no place in his kingdom. And just to make sure we're really clear on that, look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Don't listen to people who say, you love each other. That's as good as being married. That's all that matters. You love each other. God will understand. They are empty words. Don't be deceived. God hates sexual immorality and he will not let it go unpunished. So, what do we do about that? How do we avoid sexual immorality, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're widowed? Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. 
have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That's why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In this section, we're starting now to talk about darkness and light. We find three things. Firstly, the first command, find out what pleases the Lord. See, the more we learn about God, the more we see why God says things. In whatever area of life it is. God just doesn't give us rules to stop us having fun. This is the way that works best. This is the way that brings honour to God. So find out what pleases the Lord. If you're single or if you're widowed and you are not having sex, if you are not watching programs on TV that are not good for you, well done. Good on you. If you're married and you're faithful to your partner, good on you. Your life is bringing honour to God. When you struggle to be holy in whatever area of your life it is, your life brings honour to God. Even if it feels like you're missing out, trust God. His way is better. His way is always the best, even if you can't see it at the time. So find out what pleases the Lord so that you will see things his way. It makes it much easier. How do you do that? How do you find out what pleases the Lord? Reading this might not be a bad idea. I'm sure there's things in there about what pleases the Lord. On the other side of it, if you struggle with sexual immorality, don't feed your mind with things that doesn't please the Lord. If you're struggling in this area, the last thing you should be doing is feeding yourself with pornography or sexual images that you see on TV. There's a battle here between the old self and the new self. Don't feed the old self. Be careful about what you watch on TV. Do whatever it takes to make sure you can't access stuff on your phone or your computer that's unhelpful. Don't have those images in your mind that can flash up. Feed your mind on what is good. Okay, secondly, verse 11. Don't join in with your friends. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Okay, this isn't saying that you can't have non-Christian friends, but if they're telling dirty jokes, don't join in. If people are looking at something that they shouldn't be looking at, don't join in. If you're going out with someone who's not a Christian, bad idea, but if they do want you to try something, don't join in. They are in the darkness. You are in the light. Don't go back to darkness. Verse 11, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather, and this is the third thing, expose them. See, just by living a light, a life of light, it exposes the darkness. Verse, go following on, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. 
See, bad things happen in the darkness. Our house got broken into a few months ago. It happened at night time. In the dark, you can do wrong things and not get noticed. We need to be people of the light, living in the light. When you read the Bible, when you come to know Jesus more, when you allow your life to be soaked in God's light, that exposes sin. And the reverse is true, isn't it? Just like cockroaches hate the light, they run away from the light. People who are struggling with sexual immorality quite often avoid the light. They stop coming to church. They avoid small group. They avoid God. They prefer darkness. Don't avoid the light. If you're a Christian and you are in the light, don't go back to the darkness. And so if you're struggling, don't hide the things that you struggle with and feel like you can't let someone else know about them. Find a Christian that you trust and and talk to them and confess your sins and pray for forgiveness and let those things be exposed by the light. And just practically speaking, it's, it's not a bad piece of advice, is it? Be more open about things in general. If the computer causes your problems, put it out in the lounge room where everyone can see what you're looking at. Don't go anywhere with someone of the opposite sex where you're completely alone. Don't go into the bedroom and shut the door. That's what's so dangerous about pornography. It is secret. Run away. Don't live in the darkness. Live in the light. Jill, my wife, has a wheat allergy. She can't even have a hint of wheat. One crumb of wheat that we leave on the margarine, she gets sick. We have two margarines. If she licks the glue on an envelope, she reacts to the wheat in it. Once I fed her the wrong soft drink by mistake and she was sick for two months. So she is very careful, very diligent about what she eats. And look, if you are looking from the outside in on her life, you might think, what a pain in the neck. Why would you bother? But she does it because she knows it completely messes up her life and her life is much better without it. That's the kind of attitude we need to have about sin, especially sexual sin. Get rid of it. It's destructive. It does not bring honour to God when we meddle with it. Wake up. That's how Paul ends this section. Verse 15. This is why he said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Wake up. If you're a Christian, wake up. Get out of bed and start living a life or continue to live a life where God's glory will be seen. Let's pray. Father God, this is an area of life that impacts different people differently. But for all of us, single, married, widowed, for all of us, we pray that we would honour
sex. We pray that we would speak highly of it, knowing that it is a good gift from you. Help us not to treat it as if it's something dirty to be joked about or spoken crudely about. Help us to live as people of the light and honour you in what we speak about and what we don't speak about, what we watch and what we don't watch, what we join in with with our friends and what we don't join in with. We pray that people would see that we're different because we're followers of Jesus. Father, we know that this is not to earn our place with you, but this is what we want to live in response to what you've done for us in Jesus. But Father, here in early church, there may be some people who are particularly struggling with sexual immorality. We pray that you'd help them to to turn away from it. Help them to begin now a battle against it, hard as it may be. Help them to find other people who can help them with it. And Father, we pray that as a church family, we might be different so that we might bring honour to Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.